Today's scripture comes, um, I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all maintain, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we long for that to be true. Um, for those, those words about your body, about your people to be true. That we would attain to the full measure of who you are and the love that you've called us to. And God, we are so grateful that even as we come into this space, we know that you are already here with us. God, you know everything that we bring into this space with us. The good things, the bad, the uh, the difficult parts of our lives, the joyful parts, the distractions. God, you know them for all of us. And you long to hold us close. And so we pray that you would do your work now for each of us, that your spirit would take these words written so long ago and show us who we are and who you are and who you've called and created us to be through Jesus. We trust you for these things. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, we went on another scary hike, so I feel it's my duty to tell you about it. Um, I know some of you are kind of tired of my hiking stories, but this, this, one, this one was different, though. This one was, was different. So it was this past summer, just a couple months ago, in Acadia National Park in Maine, a uh, beautiful place, uh, and we did this hike called the Precipice, uh, which the name should have been enough, right? Uh, it should have told us all we needed to know. Uh, you basically just climb, there's a good, yeah. So that, that's, that's, that's basically the trail the whole time. Uh, you basically just climb up iron rungs, clinging to the side of the rock like a ladder uh, on the very edge of a cliff, trying to not die, right? Um, I think we, yeah, there you go. Uh, in three quarters of a mile, you climb 900 feet. Uh, so pretty, pretty fast uh, up there. Uh, it was foggy. As you can see, it was wet. It started to rain at some point. And so everything, everything got, got pretty, pretty slick. And usually, like, usually I'm fine. Like, this doesn't bother me. 
Like, I don't, I've never had a problem with heights or anything. Like, usually it's just okay. But this one, I don't know what it was, but I just about lost it. Like, like the, the entire time, I was just, I was so terrified for the kids. I was ultra protective, trying to care for them, help them, trying to keep them safe. Which, by the way, I mean, have you seen my kids lately? Uh, David is about my size, so he was probably keeping me safe, if we're completely honest. Uh, is that right, bud? You were, thanks, bud. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't usually bother me, Right? But I, just, I kept imagining them or Kelly falling. I had trouble looking down. I was a mess. In fact, I would have turned around. It was a loop. Except that I figured going down would be so much worse, right? So we just kept climbing. But the, wor- the worst part of it, though, the thing that was so irritating to me was how much fun my kids were having. <laughs> like, they just they loved every minute of it, right? And, like, it was, it was not, they were just joking and laughing, and they were competing with one another all the way up. All this, like, terrifying stuff, and it was, like, not even bothering them. And it, it made me, like, think for a moment, and I'm ashamed to even, like, say this out loud, but I had this moment of thinking, like, are they now better at this stuff than I am? You know what I'm saying? Like, am I that old? We all get to that point, right, where your kids become better at those things. I mean, it's like, are they better at this than me? Now, of course, no, right? It's not possible. Uh, I would just like to be clear. I'm only 42. I'll be 43 in just a couple weeks. But, and they're just, you know, fearless, reckless teenagers, right? That's what it is. I'm sure it has nothing to do with my aging body and my aging brain. Ugh. Our bodies impact the way we experience reality, don't they? Uh, if, you're, if you're young or your body is working well, like, we don't even think about them in those moments. Those of you who have chronic pain or chronic illness, like, you know better, right? But generally, for most of us, we're in denial about how incredibly important these, these things are to our experience of the world we live in. And we, we need them. And they need a lot from us, don't they? Food, water, exercise, sleep, not falling off cliffs. Like all these things are pretty important. Our bodies matter, and whether we like it or not, they affect who we are and how we live. And when we get to this this passage in Ephesians, we've been studying Ephesians together for the last couple of months. We're at the halfway point today, essentially, of the book. But when when we get there... In Ephesians, Paul paints this incredible picture that it's not just our physical bodies that are so significant. That we are actually the body of Jesus. Which maybe, maybe you've heard that before, right? If you've been in church any length of time, like you know that that's, that that's true. But like, like sit in that metaphor for a moment. Like we are his body. His, Jesus is the head, right? So he's in charge. And all of us make up the rest of his body parts. And collectively, we're his body in the world. And this body also needs certain things from us. Because when people see us, they're supposed to see Jesus. I mean, like, like it or not, right? We should be able to, see to the people, say to the people around us, like, do you want to know what Jesus looks like? Well, then look at our community. Look at who we are. We're his body. And if that's true then the body of Jesus must look like Jesus. The body of Jesus must look like Jesus. And so do we. Do we. You know, one of the reasons people deconstruct their faith is that we don't. We don't look that much like Jesus. For some, maybe we look more like a social club or a political agenda, right? Or or maybe we just look like the rest of the world in our attitudes, the way we treat people, the way we think about the world, our, our values, our behaviors. What would it mean for this body 
to actually look like his body. And even just think about that metaphor a little bit for like, what did Jesus do with his body, his physical earthly body? Well, he, you know, he obeyed the Father. He served others. He spent most of his life working in a carpentry shop. He proclaimed the the good news, and eventually he allowed his body to be hung on a cross for us. Should we expect anything different? If you haven't already, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So again, we're at the halfway point of this incredible letter, and and there's a pretty clear shift in what happens here uh, for us. Uh, kind of a transition point. So chapters 1 and one through 3, essentially, are, are full primarily of indicatives, uh, of, of Paul saying, church, this is who you now are because of Jesus as God's people. And then chapters 4 through 6 are primarily imperatives, right, uh, commands, like, church, as a result of who you are now, this is how you should now live. Do you, you follow that? So we're essentially in now that second half where Paul gets really practical with all these things that he's been telling us for the first three chapters. And Paul begins this new section by showing us that the body of Jesus should look like Jesus, right? And there are three things in particular that he points out here that are necessary for us to truly resemble him. Three things. Oneness, teamwork, and growing up together. First of all, first of all, we aren't the body without oneness oneness, which makes logical sense in a lot of ways. I mean, if you were to stumble upon a bunch of unattached body parts, I mean, first of all, horrifying, right? Like, second, you probably wouldn't try to start up a conversation with the isolated foot lying in the corner, right? Like, you you wouldn't confuse that carnage for anything remotely close to life, to real life. And the same is is true of the the church. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, let me read again what Paul says. He says, starts, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord. Remember, he's reminding us of where he's writing from, right? He knows about suffering. I urge you to walk. Here's the command, right? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Okay, so you can see where we get the word oneness, right? Paul is pointing back uh, to these indicatives that because of Jesus, the oneness that we have of Jesus, because of the oneness that we are, we should actually walk as one. We should, we should live that out. We should practice that. And again, this is, this is one of the reasons why people sometimes de- deconstruct their faith. I mean, just even the question, like, why are there so many denominations, Right? Why, why do people change churches so easily, right? Why do, why do Christians divide over, over politics or masks? Remember masks? That was the good old days, guys, when we just fought about masks all the time. Anybody else miss that? No, no, right? Perhaps people deconstruct because they see Christians like a bunch of disconnected body parts lying around and are understandably disgusted, Right? That's not a body. That's a Quentin Tarantino movie, okay? And Paul, though, what's so helpful in this passage is that Paul anticipates this. And I appreciate this about Paul. Like, he knows that it's going to be brutally difficult to actually live into this. He's not sort of Pollyanna about it when he talks about it. Look, he doesn't excuse it. He doesn't say, well, this is really hard, so don't keep working at it. 
but he acknowledges how difficult it's going to be. And so he describes these character traits that are necessary in order to pursue oneness. And the, the traits themselves imply that this is going to be hard. And so oneness is not for the naive or faint of heart. It's not for those who think we can just sweep all the disagreements under the rug and you know, just, just sort of get along, right? And so he tells us, what does he say? Look at that again. He says, with, walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And in case, and in case you missed it, miss it, like when he gets to the end of chapter 4, so he's all, all these things in chapter 4 about what it looks like to live and to flourish in this community with one another, with a bunch of broken, sinful people. And chapter 4 ends with like the final command, which is just, at, at the end of the day, just forgive, is what he says. Right? Forgive just like you've been forgiven, right? And so all of this implies, this is, this is not kumbaya, right? This is really, really hard work. And so he says, start with humility, right? Well, just acknowledging that your view of reality may not be the only view of reality, right? Or at least not the perfect view. So much of our misunderstanding can just happen there, right? We just, we don't see others' perspectives. He goes from, from humility to, to gentleness, right? To being slow to speak, quick to listen. And that when we do speak, it comes out as kindness, even in the midst of, of real struggle, mentions patience, right? Like so many of our challenges with one another has to do with how big of a hurry we're in all the time. We don't wait for one another. It's like Paul saying, just take a deep breath and listen well to each other. And if none of that works, I love that Paul says, like, uh, bear with one another. Basically, he said, put up with one another, right? Uh, in love is what you do, Right? When all else fails, you put up with each other out of the sake of love. And so Paul, even the way he describes this oneness, right, he, he knows that, that sometimes, probably most times actually, right, it's, it's going to be hard. Jesus took his body to a cross. And sometimes oneness feels like crucifixion. So maybe this, this raises, though, a few questions for you about, okay, what is it, what isn't it, right? Maybe, maybe you think, well, does this mean we can't, is there never a reason to leave a church, right? Is there never a time to leave a church? I'm not saying that. There are times. It should be rare. Uh, those of us maybe who, who jump from church to church, that's not, that's not healthy. It should be rare. But even then, you can pursue oneness in Jesus, even if the relationship changes, right? You can still leave a church with humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Or maybe, maybe others of you are thinking about a particular relationship in your family, right? Or a friendship, or colleague, where you've, you've tried. Um, and maybe, maybe you're both Christians, but there's, there's a deep fracture. Or maybe you've been hurt or abused by someone who claims to be a Christian. And maybe, maybe you've, you've tried to reconcile, but you can't reconcile alone. It takes both parties, doesn't it? And reconciliation doesn't mean you no longer need good and safe boundaries with someone. And there are times when it may be appropriate to part ways. You can't reconcile alone, but you can forgive alone. And you can choose to focus on the oneness that you still have in Jesus. And there's always these four things, right? Humility, gentleness, patience, love. Paul knows it's going to be hard, but he doesn't want us to give up. Because this is what the body of Jesus looks like. Like oneness. Second, second, we aren't the body without teamwork. 
teamwork. I, I love that Paul goes here next because teamwork makes it clear we're not after, uh, that we're after oneness but not sameness. We're after unity but not uniformity. And so, so we need to, to be together, but we also need to play different parts, right? The body of Jesus must look like Jesus, but that doesn't mean that each of us individually look and act the same way, right? Bodies are made up of unique, distinct parts, all sort of working together, right? Everything matters. You wouldn't want a body of just hands, right, or of just, just kidneys. And all those parts have to work together as a team, right? And we know, this, we know this medically, right? If one part of your body is not working right, it often throws off other parts, right? If you have a bad thyroid, it's not just your thyroid's problem. It throws off other systems. If, you're, if you have a sore foot, right, it's going to affect your leg or your back or your neck, right? We know that. Our bodies function as a team. In the message, Eugene Peterson, uh, he paraphrases uh, this verse uh, in a way that really helps, helps, me get at, helps me understand it. Listen to what he says. He says, Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness, But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. And then then we get this kind of confusing part where Paul's like, he descended, he ascended, he's bringing these gifts. Like, what is going on there? Uh, It's it's kind of a hard spot. So he's quoting a a psalm, right? He's quoting it and kind of reusing it in this this context, saying that Jesus, he descended into the grave, but he, he ascended out of the grave and went, you know, all the way to, like, ascended to heaven, and now he, he's the victor, and so he comes back sort of bringing the spoils, right? The spoils of victory. He gives gifts to his church. He takes care of his body. And so in verse 11 then, Paul says, And he, he Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. That in, in this body... We all play different parts, different roles, different responsibilities. So even just in very practical ways, some people lead music, some people work in the tech, right? Some people serve with kids, some people make coffee, right? Some of us maybe are good at discernment, some of us are good at starting new things or listening well to others, right? But but, but no part, no body part is useless. I mean, except maybe the appendix. Don't be the church appendix, right? But the, the church is meant to be a team, But is that how we enter this space? Do we think of that in that way? We are a team together, interdependent on one another. Because some of us, and we all, we're all over the map here, some of us treat church more like golf, right? Just me and Jesus, that's all that matters, right? Nothing else really counts that much. But that's like, if that's your perspective, that's not oneness or teamwork, right? Others, others of us treat it more like a spectator sport. Like you're in the stands, you're watching, Right? And you maybe shout out a few opinions from time to time, right? Uh, we know who you are. But you're not about to get your hands dirty, right? It's like, ah, we'll let them deal with that. I'm just going to be in this stand. But that, that doesn't work in this body either. And still, other, others of us maybe feel like the only thing that's really important are the, are the more visible roles. Nothing else counts that. that, that. That's got to be something visible, right? Or others of you think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm here, I'm a part of things, but what I do is so small, it's so insignificant, it doesn't possibly matter, but that's not how this team works. That if you're, if you're a Christian, you're on the team, you have a role, and if you don't, if you don't know what that is, let us, let us help you with that. We'd love to work through that with you and find a place for you also to be contributor on this team because we all know 
like the, the beauty of a perfectly executed play, right? I think we're all hoping to see some of them later on this evening, right? We, we know what it looks like when all the players do everything they're supposed to do. They go to the right places, and they almost look like they're like one organism functioning together. So it's like, it's a thing of beauty, isn't it? Like we, we, we love it when the chiefs do that. Jesus loves it when we do it, right? I mean, he also loves it when the chiefs do it. Um, but he really, he really loves it when we, when we do it. It's a thing of beauty. And so we aren't, we aren't the body without oneness. We aren't the body without teamwork. And then the third thing is we aren't the body without growing up together. The body has to mature. Like a child has to grow. A, a church has to become more and more like Jesus over time. So even, even the oneness, right, and the teamwork that, that Paul writes about, it comes with a purpose. Like it's not just for its own end. It's, it's bigger than that. The, the, the gifts that Jesus gives come with a purpose. Why does he do it? Why does he take care of his body in this way? Look at verse 12, right? He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then the result of that, I mean, I love this. Like the result of it is more unity. Right? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Like, that's the measurement. I mean, I love that picture, right? If you want to know how Jesus measures us, it's with himself, right? To the measure of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so the picture that he is giving here, that Paul is showing us, that when we pursue oneness, when we live into this this team idea of teamwork, like we mature, right? And the more we mature, the more we pursue oneness and teamwork, right? It adds to our maturity, and so that one day, even we can look more like Jesus. And so if you're concerned about a lack of oneness in the church, and we all should be, right? Honestly. If that describes you, we have to ask ourselves two questions here. Two questions. First, am I growing up? Are you growing up? Or am I still just a child tossed to and fro by the waves of this world? Even just go back to where we started. Are you more humble than you were last year? Are you more patient? More gentle? Do you have a greater capacity to love difficult people than you did last year? Are you more of a non-anxious presence in the midst of trying times? Have you learned how to suffer well? Remember, this body gets crucified. Are you growing up? And then the second question is is similar. But it can't be just kept about us, right, individually, personally, because the body is not ultimately about you. It's not about me. you got to ask yourself, am I helping others to grow up? Because Paul, again, he says it fairly clearly here that our job is to equip the saints, he says. And when he says saints, he just means Christians. If you're like, well, I'm not a saint, well, Paul calls you one if you're a follower of Jesus. So that our job is to equip one another for acts of 
service, ministry, right, is what he calls it, but it just means service, to help others. Now, let me tell you, one of the best pathways for your own growth, like if you want to a- answer that question like, yes, I do, I want to grow, like one of the best pathways to your own growth, one of the best pathways towards greater oneness and teamwork within the church is when you help others. When you help others grow, when you find a place to serve, to contribute, and that church isn't just a shameless plug, okay, it's true, we're pretty eager for help right now. I think this is what Paul is, is getting at with this body imagery, right? This metaphor that if you want to grow up to look more like Jesus, and if you long for greater oneness and teamwork, then we have got to get to work. It's not something that we can just sort of say, well, that's just for a certain group of people. It's just those who, who work for the church or maybe, you know, like, no, it's all of us are part of this together because church is not a spectator sport. It's not for consumers, it's not for wimps. It's for those who actually want this body to look like Jesus. And we have a long way to go, don't we? We are deeply flawed. We are very broken. And yet Jesus loves his body. He gave, he gave his life for her. His body was broken for his, his church, Right? And even, even as we come to this table now, right, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, like we get to remind ourselves very visibly what Jesus did with his body and what he did for his body. That ultimately for all of us, we are called to, to suffer and die to take up our cross alongside him, but that, to allow that for ourselves, and yet knowing that he did it gladly for us out of his love and kindness. It's a reminder of the love and welcome that we find in his family.